0: Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10.
1: A perfectly good car once. Yeah, only one. I was driving in a neighborhood in North Seattle doing the Lord's work, by the way, (laughs) and not paying very good attention to who had to stop and who got to go. And I woke up when I came side to side with another driver. way just like that. It's only going about 25 miles an hour, but it just ruined a perfectly good car. <laughs> Police officer came and he was sort of apologetic, but he said, well, I gotta write a ticket because when there's an accident, that's our rule, I've gotta write a ticket. So I said, thank you very much. Tempted to flash my badge and ask for some professional courtesy. <laughs> but with my badge and 350, I could barely get coffee. Um, So I went to the Seattle Municipal Traffic Court, which is an interesting experience. They have uh, the first level of traffic court, I guess you call it, is an attorney sitting behind a desk. There's no courtroom, and you just go in, and he's got your paperwork. So I pleaded guilty but deserving of mercy. And he took a look at my record, and he cut the fine in half. And I said, well, thank you very much. Some of you have been there. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, the great news in Hebrews 10 is this. God has done more than cut our fine in half. He has done more than remove our penalty. He has removed our offense and made us righteous. Follow as I read Hebrews 10. For the law, speaking of the whole Old Testament ritual system, not just the law but the sacrifices, the priests, the whole business. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, quote, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. The people that the book of Hebrews was written to originally were struggling with something. And that is, they were struggling with letting go of all of the Old Testament ritual sacrifice and fully embracing the person of Christ. By God's inspiration, the author of this book tells us today in this climax, if you will, of the book. Number one, Old Testament sacrifices were impotent. They were powerless. And the impotence of the Old Testament system of the law is seen in its effect. Look at this word, It's fascinating, once in a while you find the way that things come into English with much less strength from the Greek language. Verse 1, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, and so on. The word can in Greek, the original word from which it is translated is the word dunamos, where we get our word dynamite. It's most commonly translated power. And if we were to translate this very literally, we would say the law was powerless. There was no real power to it. I've been conducting a multiple week experiment in power. I'm putting a new roof on my house. And I have found that in my original condition, I was powerless told my wife I'm either gonna be a lean, mean, roofing machine or a broken down old man. And the odds are on the latter, not the former. <laughs> the Old Testament law had no power. It couldn't actually accomplish anything. Now don't get me wrong, God allowed those sacrifices to care for sin for the time being until Christ died on the cross. Because in God's mind, being outside of time, he saw the sacrifice of Christ in all of eternity. He used the Old Testament time and the Old Testament system to bring people to Christ. He wanted them to see, among other things, the powerlessness of anything except Christ. And so he created this ritual system of sacrifice. The first thing that we understand in the powerlessness of the law is this. The law could not perfect believers. Look at verse one again, please. And the end of it, he says, which they offer continually, these sacrifices, year by year, and it cannot make those who approach perfect. Now you say, perfect? You mean, you say, well, I'm not perfect. (laughs) What God is talking about in this passage is the perfect and complete removal of sin. God said the Old Testament sacrifices could not perfect the believer. One author said this, no Old Testament scripture gave any assurance to those bringing animal sacrifices that such would care for the sin problem forever. There was... No complete salvation in the Old Testament time. Number two, the law was powerless because it could not purify the believer. Look at verse two. For then, if these sacrifices could have perfected the believer, for then they would have ceased to be offered. That's a big duh. Now, if the sacrifice really did the job, it would have only taken one. He says they would have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers once purified, cleansed, we get our word catharsis or cleansing from it. Once cleansed would have had no more consciousness of sin. The Old Testament sacrifices could not cleanse the believers from sin. Number three, it could not pacify the believer. In that same verse it says they would have had no more consciousness or awareness of sins. What do you call the awareness of sin? I think you call it guilt. I mean, when you're aware of your sin, do you feel good? No. He said, if the law was powerful, there would have been a freedom in the conscience about guilt. In Psalm 51.3, David said, my sin is ever before me. If you know the story of David, you know that he committed adultery and then murder, and lying, and so on, to cover up his adultery. And eventually that woman with whom he was adulterous gave birth to a child, and the child died. Can you imagine going through that without the forgiveness of sin, as in the wiping clean of the guilt in the conscience? Now David met the requirements of God for forgiveness in that time frame and he was a believer and he died and he went to paradise and when Christ died on the cross David made it to heaven with the rest of all the old testament saints but he lived all of his life with the awareness of sin can you imagine getting up in the morning be aware of all your sin the old testament law was impotent it was not powerful it could not perfect, purify, or pacify the believers. Secondly, the impotence of the law is seen not only in its effect, but also its nature. Look at verse one. How does God describe the law? The law having a shadow of the good things to come. We've seen this this ideology, this concept throughout the book of Hebrews. And in fact, dare I say that the book of Hebrews really teaches us about the concept of typology. And basically, typology is this. God established his whole Old Testament system to show a picture of Christ. Here it says it was a shadow of the good things to come. And the word for shadow here is even a little bit unique, and it indicates a hazy shadow, not a clear, sharp silhouette, but a fuzzy shadow. Now, there's a shadow on the floor here right now of the music stand. And if I were to put my music on the shadow, (laughs) you'd say, well, Pastor Dave, you're being goofy. God says to these Jewish believers, why in the world do you want to put your faith on the shadow? The reality is in Christ. The nature of the Old Testament law is it was a shadow. Just to remind you of the terms that are used, and maybe it'll help you as you continue to read Hebrews, he uses the term copy and shadow of the true tabernacle. He uses the term made by man, made by the Lord. He uses the term earthly and then more perfect. He uses the term symbolic and real. Copies and real. And here the shadow and the good thing. The shadow points to the real thing. If I saw a shadow moving around the corner of a building, I would know probably there's a person coming after it. And the believers in the Old Testament time frame should have had that mentality, and especially as Christ came and presented himself, the things should have started to line up. They should have said, oh, yes, yes, yes. And certainly by this time, which is after Christ has died, been buried, and resurrected, and ascended on high, and a number of years have gone by. They should have been putting these things together and saying, oh, the picture, the reality. But they weren't. The third thing that we see about the impotence of the law is that it is shown to be impotent in its repeated rituals. Again in verse 2, for if it could have perfected the believers, they would have ceased to offer sacrifices. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it's not possible, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Repeat year by year what is only a shadow. As many years as you will, this will bring no one to the goal, to the completeness that God intends for us. Another author said this, repetition of a symbol is like multiplying with zero. No matter how many times you repeat the process, the result never increases. The same could be said for other things that we substitute in its place. We'll talk about that more in a minute. The second point that we see here today, first of all we see the law was impotent, unpowerful. Then we see that the sacrifice of Christ was and is powerful. Look in verse five. Therefore, when he, Jesus, came into the world, here's what he said. He said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. He's referring to the whole Old Testament system It says, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but a body you have prepared for me. We understand this, first of all. God was never interested in ritual alone. The power of Christ's sacrifice is based in the will of God. Jesus didn't just wake up one morning and think, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. God said, This is what I want. He never wanted just animal sacrifices. He wanted that for a time. He wanted the person of Christ and his unique body at his appointed time to complete the process. First Samuel fifteen twenty-two talks about this principle of obedience and sacrifice when it says this, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed or pay attention than the fat of rams. Psalm 5117 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And by the way, that's in the context of David talking to God about his sin. God never intended for ritual alone. Those folks today who want to go back and repeat the Old Testament law are missing something, and that is God never intended that to be powerful at all. What God always did intend was for the ritual to lead to the reality. He said, verse 7, Behold, I have come, in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. One author said this, What must be remembered is that the atoning value of the Old Testament sacrifice was temporary and typical, depending for their Efficacy or for their power upon the coming sacrifice of Christ. God always intended for the ritual to lead to the reality. The power of his sacrifice was based in the will of God. The power of his sacrifice was realized in the offering of his unique body. Turn with me to Isaiah 53, please. Isaiah 53 is such an important chapter for understanding the work of Christ and our salvation. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you want to make a contemporary Jewish person who knows anything at all about their belief system, if you want to make them really upset, go to Isaiah 53. So the only possible application of Isaiah 53 is to the person of Christ, and they know it. And that's why they never talk about it. Isaiah 53 We wanna look at verse 10 and 11. This whole chapter talks about Christ and his suffering and verse 10 starts to sum it up when it says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, God shall see his seed, he shall prolong Christ's days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see, God shall see the labor of Jesus' soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Keep your hand there and turn back to Hebrews and look at something. In Hebrews, we find out what God had no pleasure in. In Isaiah, we find out what God had pleasure in. Verse 7. Verse 6, excuse me. In burnt offering and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. But in Isaiah 53, we find out God was pleased by the sacrifice of Christ. Christ. This direct contrast. What is it God was looking for in order to be able to take away sin? The sacrifice of Christ. The power of the sacrifice of Christ was realized in the offering of His unique body. Jesus was the Son of God who took on a human body, and as such He had perfect, righteous blood to shed, the only blood that could pay for our sin. And so Hebrews 10.10 says, by God's will we have been sanctified or made righteous through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. God was pleased with the offering of Christ. The power of his sacrifice was in his unique body And the power of His sacrifice is also seen in its impact in verse 10. We have been sanctified. That word literally means to be set apart to God. The only way you can be given to God and be with God is if you are righteous. You have been made completely righteous so that you can be in God's family. We are sanctified. We are set apart to God by God. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says that in that sanctification, our sins are cleansed. In Romans 5.1, it says we have been declared righteous. In Romans 5.1, it says because we have been declared righteous, we have peace with God. And this is where this starts to become really practical. Peace with God. Do you think God is on your side? When you look up to heaven, are you happy with what you see? When you look forward to eternity, life after death, are you at peace? God says that is the chief result of the work of Christ. Our sins are taken away, the consciousness of sin removed, and what is put in his place is peace with God. The third thing that we understand about the sacrifice of Christ is this. The sacrifice of Christ has made all other sacrifices useless. Look at verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But this man, after he offered Just one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. We see this imagery of Christ sitting down a number of times in the book of Hebrews. And this is the essence of it right here. The earthly priest never sat down because his work was never done. By one estimate, at the week of Passover in the time of the Bible, 300,000 sheep would have been sacrificed. 300,000 sheep. And that would just be in one week of one year. And that Passover week happened every year, every year, every year. And yet the contrast is this, those animal sacrifices never took away sin. One sacrifice of Christ and he sat down. Done, finished, over, forever. The sacrifice of Christ was ultimate. It was the ultimate sacrifice, finished work. It was permanent. He says here in verse 12, one sacrifice for sins forever. Look at verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Earlier we read that the Old Testament law could never perfect anyone. But this sacrifice perfects us forever. What does that say about your salvation? That it's not halfway, it's not quarterway, it's not hope so, it's not maybe. It is perfection forever. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you are sanctified, you are set apart to God. When God looks at you, what does He see? He sees the blood of Christ covering your sin. And you will never get to a point where God says, that's enough. I'm kicking you out of the family. Won't happen because you have already been perfected forever. What a marvelous truth. Now, that's not to say that we don't have some work to do today. God tells us that. That sanctification is not only perfected forever, but here and now we're supposed to be working on some things to demonstrate our appreciation to God, to build our righteousness in God, but we don't earn that forever perfection. It was permanent, and it was covenant. Look at verse 16. He comes back to the new covenant, which was predicted in the Old Testament. Here it's realized. This is the covenant I will make with them, with his people Israel. After these days, says the Lord, I will put my law into their heart, and into their mind I will write them. Then he adds, here's the new emphasis for this passage, this truth. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. We have a little joke around here. You know, I'm a pretty tough guy to work for. You can ask Kathy about that. I'm not sure who's actually in control back there, but um, Kathy's my secretary. And so when she does something a little goofy, we say, that's gonna go in your permanent record. And once in a while, Glenn says to me, that's gonna go in your permanent record. (laughs) Now, the good thing is, we don't have any permanent records here. (laughs) We don't have any records. (laughs) You know what? God says, your permanent record has been wiped clean, boom and it will never have a black mark on it again. Oh yes, you're going to sin, and you're going to need to confess that, but your permanent, perfect standing in heaven is guaranteed by the permanent, perfect sacrifice of Christ. God made an agreement, and we get the benefit of that agreement. Our sanctification is as enduring as Christ's offering for sin. The last thing that we understand about this sacrifice is it was prominent. Look at verse 18. Now where there is remission of these, there's no longer an offering for sin. A little obscure in the way it's written. What he's talking about, he's going back, he's saying look, if the sins have been remitted, and the word remitted is the same word as translated forgiven, literally means to be taken away. If the sins have been taken away, there's no longer any need for any sacrifice. Now I would like to bring this around perhaps to our lives a little bit today, in a little more personal way. I don't think any of you are in danger of going out and offering an animal sacrifice to pay for your sin. I just really don't see that happen. When I first went to Tuckwilla, there was a dear old widow lady who raised chickens and she regularly sacrificed them, but it wasn't for her sin. Thank the Lord I kept away from that business. Man, I, I would not want to be a priest in that Old Testament time frame and offering those bloody sacrifices. Oh, Lord have mercy. I would not want to do that. Sacrifices for sin. I don't think you're in danger of going out and offering an animal sacrifice. I don't think you're in danger of trusting in an animal sacrifice. You know, there are people in parts of the world today who do sacrifice animals to appease their gods. That is not an unknown occurrence in our world today. They are not trying to worship Jehovah, the real God. I don't think there's any danger if you going back to that. But you know what? I think there are some other things that we try to offer God sometimes because we think we need to offer Him some kind of sacrifice. Sometimes we call it tearful penance. There are some religions today that teach you've got to really show your sorrow over sin and crawl on your knees or beat yourself with a whip. And you know, I don't think any of you are in danger of that, but you might beat yourself with your thoughts on bad I've known some people that said, you know, I'm just bad and I need to punish myself. Do you think that the sacrifice of Christ isn't going to take your sin away? Do you think you're going to beat yourself up enough that God will look down and go, oh yes, that's a much greater sacrifice than my son, the eternal perfect Savior. But the problem is we don't talk to ourselves that way and we need to. You are not gonna pay for your sin no matter how badly you treat yourself. And in fact, your efforts to punish yourself are nothing more than human pride. Because you think you can do something that God hasn't done. One of the ways that people try to pay for their sin today is with good works. One of the phrases that gets my goat Christmas time, you know, that's what it's all about. We're gonna do some things for the homeless kids. That's what it's all about. Now, I'm for helping out homeless kids. I'm for toys for tots. I'm for trophies for every little leaguer. But you know what, if you're doing that, so that God will look down on you and go, you're a pretty good guy. You're wasting your time. Because that is not what it's all about when it comes to God. Because if those Old Testament sacrifices, hundreds of thousands of them, expensive, could not take away sin, your Toys for Tots gift is not gonna do it either. Your good works, whether it is a religiously derived system of good works or just that of your own creation, it is not going to get you there. People want to hear that they can work their way to heaven. The scripture says we have itching ears. And folks are going to come along and say, hey, you know what? And you're going to go, oh boy, that feels good. yeah. God says there's one thing that'll get us there. And we read it, Chuck read it this morning from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, by grace, by a free gift, you have been saved through your faith in the finished work of Christ, not of your works. If you could work your way to heaven, you know, I wouldn't want to be in a heaven that I could work my way to, because you know why? You remember the old show, Can You Top This?, it was a humor show, and they'd have some people get up and tell jokes, and then people would clap, and the, the applause meter would go, and the person who got the loudest applause, he won. Well, the way it started out was the comedian would come out and tell a joke, and then the, the line was, can you top this? And the next guy would come out, and he'd tell a joke, and then, can you top this? And you know what, if you could earn your way to heaven, I wouldn't want to be there, because it'd be eternity saying, look what I did. And the next guy would say, well, I can do better than that. And the next guy would say, I can do better than that. You know when you get in a crowd of people like that, you just get sick. You think, oh, quit your bragging. Because they told a story better than yours. Not of works, lest we should boast. Wow. I had the opportunity or should I say the duty to testify in a murder trial once. I was at a scene where a death occurred which appeared to be accidental. They didn't usually call me to crime scenes. They didn't want to contaminate them with any civilians. But I was there and I was comforting this person who eventually was charged with a very serious crime And I went through this whole process. It was was really quite a fascinating process. I started out with this big interview with the detective and when I got all the way down to the actual testifying on the stand, it took me about that long. And the jury listened to that and all the other evidence and convicted this person and there was no mercy because they were guilty. You know what? you've already been convicted and found guilty. But the good news is, there's mercy enough for everybody. God doesn't have to punish you because Jesus Christ took his punishment on the cross and made it possible that you can be made righteous. The question today is, have you taken God's gift of mercy May God help us embrace his free gift, and may he help us appreciate it. Heavenly Father, thank you for saving us at such a great expense. Father, if there's somebody here today that's never embraced the work of Christ, somebody who's never believed in Jesus as their savior, may they do it today. May they see how wonderfully simple you have made salvation. And may those of us who know you appreciate all that you went through for us. Us who are undeserving, thank you. Thank you for your grace today. Thank you for the blood of Christ that washes away our sin. I pray in Christ's name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Hope for Life, the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 69, Ferndale, Washington, 98248 Telephone 360-384-3111 we invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's word will give you hope for life.